You're listening to Inside the Peloton with Dave Toll, and I'm George Thomas. We're here in Boulder, Colorado. Dave, uh, this kind of weather is not making me miss the Pacific Northwest. You know, I, th- I thought you were going to say this is a cyclocross weather. I was going to be like, yeah, I, I guess so. This is what they want, right? It's good if you're riding, but what about the spectating? Uh, you know, I think that's why they have the beer tents. And uh, I, I've i been to some cross races in Europe, and uh, you you don't really notice the weather when you're in that atmosphere. You know, it's like being in a mosh pit or something. You're more just kind of... Just kind of paying attention to what's going on around you and, you know, the racing is part of it. The crowd around you, though, is significant, too. It certainly makes for, I don't know, it's like going sledding or something. I don't think you notice the weather when you're sledding, right? Because well, I think at the U.S. Uh, Open of Cyclocross last weekend, you know, most of the riders were saying this just isn't cyclocross weather. It was 75 degrees, sunny, beautiful yeah, I guess that, you know, if you think about it, around America, typically now, you're not really getting the hard freeze, uh, even in, you know, like Minnesota, I was just at the Trek Cup in Wisconsin, which is an awesome event, but the weather was really good, I mean, it was pleasant days in the mid-60s for that race, you know, so it's hard to find that kind of weather in the United States anymore, you know, like you look at where, where is it really consistently muddy in the United States through through from October through February, Pacific Northwest, Corvallis, Oregon. Yeah, right. I mean, you, you can find it there at any given time. It's always going to have that soft, soft soil. And there's a lot of cross racing up there. I mean, that Oregon scene. Maybe that's part part of the secret to their success is they have the closest climate to replicate what people want in cross, which is sloppy. Right? It's not necessarily cold. It's just you want some mud. You want some puddles. You want that seems to be uh, one of the elements that makes the sport unique, and I get that. Now, cyclocross has really taken away the word off-season from cycling, really, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, I would say for the most part, there is, there's no real off-season anymore. If you look at it, like the Cannondale Garmin team was at camp up in Aspen. This, like, you know, as we speak, they're... They're already getting their season going, and we're we're not even to Halloween yet. So you know, so for, so for the road guys, the, their season really doesn't ever end. I mean, they get to take that break, but uh, and then with with cross, I mean, now it fills in. You know, you get to uh, in America, the, the the racing really ends. I remember there was one year, the, the Louisville World Championship year, where the one-to-go guys who do the timing and scoring, they're really mm-hmm. awesome at what they do, John Gallagher and his crew. Uh, they did Louisville Worlds, and that ended, let's say, at the 1st of February. And three weeks later, they were back to work at what was then the McLean Pacific uh, in, in March. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, end of February, actually. In you know, so three weeks was there the gap for their off season. Really, that was kind of a crazy year to have cross worlds in the U.S. and that's such a, so late in the year. But still, you know, so for the for the the the, uh, the general season of cycling, not talking about road or mountain or enduro, but all of these things, you you know, you can put the Cape Epic uh, and Tour Down Under. They're going in January. 
Those, right. you know, and and you've got events uh, cross worlds. So yeah, there's your overlap. Really, cross worlds are happening after major road races have started their season, uh, and on the on the back end of that. The road season is really just ending now. I mean, like the Japan Cup and right. Abu Dhabi and these things had just happened. So, and Cross was already going at that point. Uh, you know, mid September, Cross I think Vegas. They're starting now in August. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not Vegas a fan is of really that. Really, the kickoff though is yeah, it? and that's driven. See, this is where in America things get driven by the most bizarre forces. Where the reason the World Cup is now starting in the mid mid September is because America's bicycle trade show is held then because that's the date that they've kind of always had. It's shifted a little over the, over the decades, but you know, that trade show has always been at one time. It made sense for the industry to have it then because of product release dates, but that all went away years ago. Now, if you're specialized or Trek or these brands, you're taking your top hundred dealers and bringing them out to Waterloo. And you, you know, they already know what the, what they're ordering and the buyers know what's coming and they don't need to go to Interbike to see that. But because of that, because of Interbike's timing, the World Cup season starts in mid-September now. It didn't used to start anywhere near then. And now there's these big gaps, uh, between, you know, almost month-long gaps between World Cups at the beginning of the year. Uh, and uh, the American Cross season, it, it was just like the road season here in Colorado. Uh, I was talking to Chris Grealish about this. It's, it's really bizarre but you get the biggest numbers at your races in Colorado in, in the weirdest time to be racing in, in March and April. They're showing up uh, in the droves because they're excited about it. And I, it's just when the season is for them. There's about a 50-50 chance on an on a early April Saturday that you're going to have snow here. Maybe not 50-50, but there's a really good chance it could snow any given day in the spring in Colorado. So it's really a risky proposition for a promoter to put on a race. You know, you kind of have to build up a, a few races to make that happen. But, yeah, getting back to your point, the season is it's full stop all year long. How do people take that mentally? And also, what about the governing bodies? I'm thinking USA Cycling. We want to get into a little discussion about USA Cycling and Cyclocross as well. Well, yeah, you know, and that's something that's going on right now, the discussions about, yeah, I, I, I think the one that's the most relevant, uh, you know, it's interesting. When you talk about what USA Cycling does, and I give them all the credit in the world, but you're you're really trying to serve some really different user groups there it's like running one restaurant where some people want to get uh, dollar tacos and other people want to have filet mignon and other people want to have uh, uh peking duck and you know trying to manage that is really hard and trying to manage winning olympic gold medals and serving nine and ten year old riders who are just getting into the sport and serving 70-year-old riders who want to have a good master national road championship experience, while at the same time worried about your uh, women's team pursuit squad. Uh, that's a really varied uh, palette that you have to deal with and running, you know, uh, more than a dozen national championships, uh, whether it's the BMX, the track, collegiate, all of those, uh, you know, pro road, 
all of this kind of stuff is a lot going on. So, you know, when you talk about cyclocross, what's the most important issue? Who, who are we talking to? You know, for me personally, and I get that I'm a very unique user group. Uh, I want to, I want to see a U.S. national uh, a series back like the GP or the super cup. That's, that's kind of what I, I would like to see. Other people are worried about uh, scheduling at uh, nationals this year. And they don't, they know they don't like the changes that have been made. They don't want to start at eight o'clock in the morning when they used to start at 11, but their time slot or their user group got squeezed out because, you know, because the, the 15, 16 year old girls took a, took a hit in Austin or whatever. We're going to give them a bump and try to give them a better slot. But then for every winner, there's a loser, isn't there? And when you're trying to write a schedule uh, for, I mean, open up, you know, go to any uh, regional, uh, uh, like the Southern California group, and look at how they constantly are changing and discussing and, and more power to them. At least they have a conversation there. And they do a good job with it. But, you know, it, it, one year it's 35, 45, 55. The next year it's 40, 50, 60. And it, it depends on who's who's kind of moving the pieces around at that point. Who's going to the meetings and making it happen in their local their local scene. I, a good example, I think, is I'm going out to Cleveland. And there's a guy named Marshall Leininger out there who is really great. I would like to do a documentary on what he's doing. He's creating a scene. uh he is a, a strong businessman in, in his line of work. He owns a, a company that makes high-end auto wheels. So he does really well with that, I, I think. He, we, he never actually talks about it because all he wants to talk to me about is bike racing and bike stuff, right? But Marshall in Cleveland has put together this series, uh, is, has, is developing a junior program. He's uh, you know, building courses, finding venues, making races happen, building a team of volunteers around him, and a guy like Marshall, and he is is not single handedly because he's got a really cool group that he's built because he's smart enough to know he can't do it alone. So what Marshall has done is found p cool people who are like minded. He's kind of willing to write the check, you know, like but but he but what he wants is your support and your help and your enthusiasm. And, uh, so he's this linchpin in a scene that, you know, there's a great scene in Cincy and, and Louisville that's been well-documented, but Cleveland didn't even have much of a scene a few years ago. And now you've seen it take sprout and now it's starting to grow. And it is so cool to see. And that's what I recommend anybody who wants to have a cyclocross scene, whether you're in Lincoln, Nebraska, or you're in uh, Tallahassee, Florida, you need someone strong like Marshall who can really, you know, take the bull by the horns and, and be the guy that rallies everyone at six o'clock to get out there and build the course and do that kind of thing. Like Grealish did here, you know, same kind of thing. It's really hard to find that person. Yeah. Uh, but w when you do celebrate them. Inside the Peloton, Dave Toll. I'm George Thomas. We're in Boulder, Colorado, talking cyclocross right now. Um, USA Cycling, why is there not a national series of cyclocross? Well, because it was a private... Okay, so, I mean, ultimately, that timeline is interesting. There was the Super Cup, and a guy named Lyle Fulkerson, and uh, uh, Richard Freeze, and th that crew out of New England, they created it. Mm -hmm. they, they were made cross-cool. 
they really had bull, the tiger by the tail at that point. So they found other people like uh, Brad Ross out in Northwest. In, in Northwest. And they found, uh, you know, they came to Boulder. They went to Chicago. They, you know, they went to venues where they found a really good LOC or local organizing committee that would then uh, allow them to use their universal branding and, and make it, you know, their style of race and, and uh, they, but they were finding sponsors as well. And then when Bruce and Joan were running uh, the USGP, you know, they had a lot of support from SRAM. Uh, Cliff Bar also was tremendous in supporting that series. Uh, and uh, a lot, so that's a lot of revenues coming from that, those ad, those promotional type of people, commercial interest, I should say. And then you've got, uh, you know, the racers, the amateur racers that come and pay their entry fee. And that money really ultimately offsets the, the C1 and the C2 prize money that you're paying out to the pros. But also that's perfect because those people, those kids, those fans of cyclocross are part, kind of the way they're paying their ticket to the race is by racing. And then when they go watch the pros, you know, that money that they, they kind of use as their entry fee and some of that went to buy poles and pay permits and, and all lunches bought for the volunteers and all that kind of stuff. But then ultimately that leftover money goes and lets you have a pro show. And that's great for the eight-year-old. You got a, I mean, you got a ten-year-old kid, and you take him to a cross race. He's attracted like a moth to a flame to the pro trailers. And go see what Jeremy Powers looks like. And what what is he doing now, Dad? You know, what's going on? You know, like that kind of thing. And they love it. And that's really how you get your hooks in a kid to, you know, fall in love and have a passion for cycling. Or maybe that translates into their next passion, but it gets them passionate. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what pro events are about, I think. It's kind of my job in a lot of ways to try to help get that stoke going, you know. So you do that at every race year. <laughs> I try, I try, that's for sure. But so, yeah, uh, so the USGP, though, uh, Exergy came along. We talked about them, I, I think, maybe uh, a, a month ago. But, you know, they were a sponsor that promised a lot of money and helped keep it going for a while. But ultimately, when the checks stopped coming, they couldn't afford to keep running the series. And it all really critical person in this whole thing. It's not your technical director. It's your ads or your your sales. Your salesperson. Mm-hmm. And all and so much in 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 cycling or running or any of these kind of fringe but really cool sports that are out there. It really comes down to if you want to move the needle forward with what you're doing, you got to find someone who can sell companies that want to support it and and advertise with you so you can get your word out about what you what you believe in. So now you're really making me think um, what you said a little bit earlier about Southern California with the people who are showing up at the meetings and having a voice. Right. This it's so involvement really is important. Well, it is. Um, and how do we build enthusiasm to get out and go see, to those meetings? It's interesting, though. I mean, I, see, this is where I'm, I'm torn because sometimes I'm like, yeah, you know, the meetings are great. And, but meetings suck. I hate going to meetings. Right. Yeah. There's, I, so do I. And, and, uh, ultimately we don't need any more associations or, uh, uh, groups or any of that. We need people out there, I guess, building trails and contacting people that they know at, at, uh, different companies. I mean, I, I, women cycling, I'm looking at you right now. 
you know uh we're to the point now where the it, it if you're a woman who's interested in getting into cycling, you got a lot of avenues to do that. And, you know, there's a lot happening. I see more women out riding. Everybody does. We all get it. Bike shops are selling more bikes to women. They're becoming more, much better at that. And mm -hmm. everything's gotten better. But no one seems to be selling any sponsorship. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, I mean, it's been great. Look at last year. Look at, or well, this year still. But, you know. California was awesome at, at Amgen Tour. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, sure, it could have been better in some ways, but what can't in this sport? Utah, same thing. Okay, it was two criterions for the women, but they were pretty great races, and ultimately Ali Dragu was a star. In the, in the, and uh, she, by being such a star and being so available and hanging around and signing autographs, probably helped add a stage or, or helped push that bar forward by being participating, being there, uh, being relevant and, and just getting it and just getting it. That was such a critical thing. And then USA pro challenge was unbelievable. Was I mean, that go dang golden was every day, but you know, and yeah, that they need to get better on the media coverage as well. And there's things they need to do. But when you see that day in golden, and you hear what Mar Abbott has to say. I think people who really deserve to have a voice. Um, <clears throat> then that was something that USA Pro Challenge can be proud of that effort. And I, I give a guy like Sean Petty a lot of credit for getting involved with that and, and making that better. Women at Worlds. Well, that was, and that speaks to, you know, that speaks to, uh, yeah, uh, all of these, you know, where does Chloe Diger come from? Where does Emma, Emma White come from? Well, they, they come from, uh, you know, Michigan and, and mid-state New York. And, but there's people who are passionate about cycling where they are. They're getting involved in these scenes. They get connected. And next thing you know, they're bringing home gold and silver. And if you want to move up to the elite women, you know, that also just a tremendous show by, I mean, looking back the entire, that, that world was just so great for American cycling. Um, I, you know, it'll be something that you, we can talk about positively for the rest of time. And it's pretty rare that you walk away from an event going, that was, not only was that good looking back and be with a critical eye. It, still, that was great. It really was. So now I don't want to drift too far from our topic, but getting back to cyclocross and combining that with the topic of women's racing, it seems to me like cyclocross should be building excitement for women's racing. You've got so many spectators out there. You have a large number of women well, who are participating. It was interesting. So Trek Cup, uh, which is really run by its interest the, the the trek racing team and and guys like John Vick and Scott Dobear they they kind of help oversee it and make sure it's got the right trek touch and, mm -hmm. but there's a woman named Renee Calloway who runs the series there and it's just kind of one of once again like the Marshall Calloway uh, excuse me the Marshall uh, Linehart uh, uh, the Mar yeah right uh and she is the linchpin there and she has the license because she has so much credibility and, you know, she's Renee, uh, which is in such a huge compliment to her that she decides to move the women's event to be the last event of the day. 
So the men raced before the women. That I've never seen that before at a cross race. Uh, it was really cool. It actually worked better, I thought. Uh, just the flow of the day was better when the men raced their hour and then the women the 40 minutes to finish. And the women's racing has always been, it's always as exciting. Uh, and the, it was just really cool to see them be sort of showcased and everyone got it. It was, it, and so I hope more races look at that and do that actually. Uh, you know, the, the Cincy scene is, was really one of the first scenes that jumped on board with the equal prize money. And, uh, you know, it's these smaller scenes that sometimes, well, Cincy's not small now. They're a monster scene. They're, they're one of the three biggest scenes in America, New England, Oregon, and Utah, Kentucky, the, uh, excuse me, uh, Ohio, Ohio, Kentucky. Those are the biggest scenes in America now. Um, and that all started really, you know, when Louisville Worlds was announced and they started these getting their scenes going. And now the junior race there is a hundred kids lining up, you know, Boulder gets some credit on that too. Cause the, these parents and what's happening here has been awesome. And there's going to be, when you look at these podiums at nationals and who's going to be the, the best racers in America, a lot of them still live in Boulder. And some of them are 12, 13, 14 year old kids. That's just the last week. Our, our talent pipeline. Junior did yeah, I know. It was incredible. I know. And you, you don't want to get ahead of yourself and get, you know, too proud. But this is because these parents and the Pete Webbers and the Greg Kellers and the Michael Robsons here have just put so much into this. And now you're seeing that you kind of reap what you sow and you make these junior programs uh, and you really, really get these kids out there doing it and get them into learning how the race is won in the garage and all this kind of stuff. And, and you get some of these kids are going to be exceptional. So is a Boulder's talent pipeline is based on so many bizarre factors. But once again, a lot of it is, you know, the effort made to get Valmont bike park going and you know what what that took 10 years of you know when when you see these kids winning olympic medals in 8 years go by and say thank you to Bobby Noyes and Chris Grealish you know take the time to remember who laid the foundation so got to ask you this what's it like for you as an announcer at a cyclocross race is the atmosphere different your job different is it more fun uh, it's not more fun per se, because a lot of times what makes my job easier is information and mm -hmm. knowing what's going on. And to, I can tell a story. I like I liken it to sort of the the nineteen forties or nineteen thirties guy doing baseball on radio, and he could tell you the story and make it sound so cool. But he really did need to get some information when they had the the. the you know, look at the wire and reading that and, you know, pretending you're live at the event. That's not hard to do. What's hard to do without a guilty conscience is make up stuff. When you, when you haven't heard for 15 minutes, what's going on from the field. And, you know, it's really hard sometimes to not just say the gap is closing or the gap is opening and just guessing. You know, because the other thing that is tricky is when you start to get really to the higher level of announcing, you start to understand what's going to happen. I mean, like, uh, I, 
you know, not to brag or boast, but if I if I were to have looked at my like in the car predicting who's going to win today's Tour of California stage, I, I hit it like fifty percent. And if you imagine how hard that is to do. You know, uh, like to say like, well, today's the day for Cavendish. Today's a day for Sagan. Watch out for Julian Alaphilippe today or, or Koenig. To, you know, like just sort of, I, it's I a weird go back to our pre-world show. You, you nailed it pretty well. Right. And you know, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like I called the BMC team win, which wasn't hard. Lizzie, Lizzie winning wasn't hard, but you know, I, I missed on Peter. So, but, but a lot of, yeah. Hey, what can you do? Uh, but anyways, uh, so yeah, uh, cyclocross racing, you know, you're on a, kind of on a stage and the people down there are having fun and the atmosphere is really rich and strong, but, uh, sometimes it's hard to see the course or you, you just don't know what's going on. And so, I, but you know what, now that I think about it, it really doesn't get better than that. But then again, how do you beat being on the stage, uh, at USA pro challenge on Flagstaff mountain, you know, or, uh, the greatest experience of my life will be uh, Libby Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, st- like just having that moment made it all worth it. Every fucked up plane trip and screwed up hotel reservation and uh, uh, missed ride and horrible meal on the road. It was all went away to have that experience. That experience. Yeah. Wow. Is there an off season for you? Kind of, you know, like I'm still like now, uh, you know, I could use more work in December and January for sure. You know, uh, uh, my season really picks up again at uh, Chico, uh, Chico stage race. I love that event. Can't wait to be back. Uh, you know, so uh, yeah, it, it is pretty light in that the holiday season. And so, uh, so that is my off season. You know, I used to say no, but now that I think about it, that, yeah, that's it. Dave, I'm really glad we've teamed up on a, a show because just having a conversation with you, I've already got a dozen other, show, other shows in mind right now. So. <laughs> well, that's the plan. That, that was the whole plan. If we ran out of material two shows in, we were going to be, be that's like, they're like, God, these guys, man, they didn't have much content, did they? <laughs> Inside the Peloton here in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas with Dave Toll. Thanks very much. Hey, thank you.